0: Hi listeners, it's Galley here, just explaining that unfortunately, due to a technical issue with the hosting site, some of our audio in this episode sounds like we've recorded it on the loo. But I can assure you, we didn't. Anyway, normally on the Rewire Movie Podcast, we strive to give you the best audio quality possible. However, this time, I can't guarantee it. So, for existing listeners, and for new listeners please accept my apologies. I hope that this won't detract from you hearing about Mick Jagger's Big Helmet. And for those of you who have seen the film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, please enjoy our episode on Free Jack.
1: Some rich son of a bitch dies They save his mind in a huge computer they call the spiritual switchboard. There is nothing spiritual about that then they transfer his mind to your body what do you mean like a like a brain transplant no oh, no a mind transplant
0: welcome to the Rewire movie podcast the following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language listen man these can see you they can hear you your voice goes out on one of these lines. You're done for. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Free Jack. Starring Emilio Estevez. I don't get it. Why me? Why don't they just grab somebody who's alive now? Mick Jagger. Okay. Let's do it. Rene Russo. I don't know if you're not Alex
1: Furlong. You're the bastard who stole his body.
0: David Johansson.
1: Oh boy, this is just remarkable. You see, I've never seen a Free Jack before.
0: And Anthony Hopkins. I've been humaning this important for five minutes. Directed by Jeff Murphy.
1: He's a free Jack. What?
0: We can't help you. Can anybody help you? Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Get the meat. It's
2: Gally in Glasgow.
1: And uh, I hate the dark. It's everyone in London.
2: Just do one thing for me. Nibble my ear. For luck. It's Patrick from London. He's
3: photogenic, telegenic and real good to his mom. It's Aiden in Vancouver.
2: Hey. hey! Welcome Aiden, welcome,
0: welcome. Trust us listeners, we haven't freejacked Matt. We actually have a new person joining the podcast which is... Uh, to join the sausage factory. Yes, welcome Aiden from Vancouver. So please Aiden, explain to the listeners who you are. And how we know
3: you. My name is Aidan Dungate. I went through film school with these guys, became good friends. Um, We all ended up working in the industry at some point in time. I worked as a camera trainee and then a second assistant, camera uh, assistant. And now I'm a focus puller. And I live over and I decided to move over to Vancouver. So now I live in Vancouver and work in the film and TV industry over here. Mainly working in TV and shoddy movies. So...
2: My as, well. as long as they're not dirty movies, Aiden. Right.
3: I'll do whoever, I'll do whatever's paid, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Aiden, welcome to the show. I've got to, I've got to ask the question, mate. Of all the films, you've decided to pick Free Jack from 1992, starring Emilio Estevez and Mick Jagger. Explain to me why and what the significance was. Every time I go and rent an action
3: movie with my brother from Global Video, in the town of Morpeth, Northumberland. Um, there would be... We'd run action movies, and this was this was always on the trailers at the beginning of every single one. And so I remember becoming super obsessed with this, like what, what this movie was, because of how cool it looked at the time. And then um, eventually, when it was on BBC Two at like 11.30 at night, I remember sitting down with my brother to watch it and really grabbing us because kids like crap. I guess. And, um, and then, yeah, and it was, and it was a movie that like we recorded on, uh, on, on tape and then would come back and watch endlessly and then it went quiet and I didn't think about it for probably 20 years plus. Um, and then randomly whilst listening to the podcast, whilst listening to your guys' podcast, um, I was searching through the internet and it was probably, I think I was, I think I was searching Emilio Estevez to see what he was up to. And then it was on his IMDb page and I basically remembered it. And from looking at that and looking at the IMDb page, it I became so oddly late in, later in life fascinated by it because of just this strange mix of talent that's in there. It's like if you look at the the cast and the producers and the writers and the director of photography and all these people and who's involved with it, you know, there's such a diverse like list of credits and you know and body of work that's there. And then you watch the movie and it's a very strange experience. And I don't want to tip my hand too early. It's so strange that there's such a talent pool there, and the product that is that comes out the other end is 1992's Free Jack,
1: <laughs> <laughs> which I mean, it's uh, it's probably like the the most. I don't know. Would you say a, a obscure film? Like it's not even it's not even one that's really garnered a, a massive cult. No.
3: The thing, the thing was not a success. Like yeah. critically and commercially, it was not a success. It was it had a budget of thirty million dollars. Worldwide gross was seven was just a little over seventeen million on
2: return. Do you know what the score is that Rotten Tomatoes have it? Oh, it's, I think it's down in the twenties. 14. one four percent. It did pretty pretty bad at the time critically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, cause we don't normally
0: we don't normally put any stock in the the sort of Rotten Tomatoes percentages, but that's, that's pretty low, mm.
1: isn't it? also especially follow- from it. a film back then. That's going to be actually, you know, that's that's contemporaneous reviews. It's not like some, you
2: know,
1: random blogger from wherever. This is all like uh, like national press, the kind yeah. of press that can make or break R- a film. Roger Ebert
2: at the time, and, yeah, know, his review. But but also one of those things where so all of this stuff
3: is valid and true. But to a, I think I probably would have been twelve or thirteen at the time. It was a movie that grabbed me because it was, you know, an action movie starring the guy from Young Guns and Young Guns Two, which I loved. And you know, like I wasn't a massive obviously I I didn't really know the Rolling Stones very much. I knew of them and I'd heard some of their songs, but like I was I was a bit more of a like mid-teens before like music really struck like really started hitting the chords of my life where where that was became such like a a more pivotal influence but at the time really what I was doing at the time what I was doing a lot was when I grew up on a farm in the northeast of England and what I do uh on my days off because I would be you know when I was not at school because I've been I was in the middle of nowhere without a car it's me and my brother would watch a lot of trash action movies and this was the one that we like I said, I've that, that already said that we watched and kind of resonate with us. And so it became nostalgia plays a big part in a lot of these, I think. Um, and it definitely has a lot to answer for. And uh, yeah, but that is essentially the crux of why
0: perfect timing led me to pick Free Jack. You, go, I never saw it I, So I had a bit of a weird one with this one Aiden, Because I was convinced After the first couple of minutes With the racing scenes that I'd seen this film I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I've seen this And then I realised What happens after the accident And I was like, no, I was thinking of Days of Thunder Which is yeah. obviously a very different film But oh. I, I completely mm-hmm. confused The two of them And then I knew I'd like, i never seen this At all, whatsoever yeah. I don't think, Devlin, Patrick, have you ever seen this?
2: no no never heard of it um i I caught up with aiden just randomly on a late night conversation i can't remember what we were talking about aiden it was probably a film and you mentioned this film at the time and i i'd never heard of it at all but of course when you look it up and like you said the 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 cast alone estavis hopkins mick jagger for intrigue and rennie russo i definitely thought oh wow how how have i never heard of this film and i want to see it now
3: can, can I just take a quick, um, can I just quickly read out some of the cast here for you guys? And then, and, and to, I think this kind of highlights one of the strange hooks in this. So we have Emilio Estevez, Mick Jagger, Rene Russo, Anthony Hopkins, Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, Amanda Plummer who played Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction, Mm -hmm. Uh, L. Bush who was Balrog in Street Fighter, as well as a young Zachary Lamb and Demolition Man from the intro of that. Yes, yes he was. Jerry Hall is in there, Mick Jagger's at the time Mm. white and David Johansson, the lead singer of the New York Dolls. It's such a strange fascinating look. That is just a cast list and there's some Obviously very heavy
0: hitters, and there's some very much like genre players in there as well. I'll tell you what then, before we get into Free Jack, Aiden, would you be willing to give us a plot summary?
3: I could certainly try. In 1991, at the moment of his fiery death, top prospect Formula One driver Alex Furlong, played by Emilio Estevez, is transported 18 years into the future to a dystopian New York by Victor Vassander, played by Mick Jagger. A bone jacker who, along with his own army of mercenaries, acquire healthy replacement bodies for the recently deceased ultra-wealthy, as a consciousness is stored in the spiritual switchboard for a limited period before being lost forever. Alex awakes and escapes his captors, becoming a free jack, a person whose body is considered to be property of another. Alex must evade capture as Vasandak, his men, their go-karts and a collection of multicolored tanks along with the personal police force of the Macadalus Corporation, run by Ian Macadalus, played by Anthony Hopkins, tried to close the net on their meat. Along with his former fiancée, Julie, played by Rene Rousseau, who now works in the upper echelons of the McAdlis Corporation, he must find a way to escape the fate that others have in store for him.
0: I think I'll just get straight to the, the crux of the, the device that they use. The idea of, of taking somebody's body and transmitting your consciousness it was from a book right immortality from mm-hmm. like so, yeah so they they based it on that that concept's quite cool mm-hmm. I, I i'm trying to think if have we seen something similar though like yes. it feels like something that's been recycled in sci-fi for but there's, numerous, um,
1: numerous times the idea of like the the elderly wealthy harvesting you know the the young is kind of a a, a metaphor that has been used quite a lot i guess something like um never let me go is a a more yeah. kind of artistic rendering of it. And then you've and got yeah, the island, yeah. which is the same plot, but stupider. But usually it's
2: very, very yeah. comical at the time, isn't it? Something like Freaky Friday. and uh, they're Yeah, they're normally body swaps, day. aren't they? Yeah. You've even got something like Get Out recently yeah. that, that has yeah. this, this concept in a way. And it's cool. Yeah, the science fiction is cool.
1: And um, I guess by using that kind of cyberpunk brain download and kind of exploding it outwards the 90s had uh had a, a bunch of kind of william gibson inspired cyberpunk stuff but um i don't know even like robocop has has bits and pieces of it and mm. johnny mnemonic and uh Straight- there, man, to,
2: to yeah at the time uh, delving into the matrix later on as we've spoken about before but this is 91 what what predates this
1: well i i guess um I mean, the, if you go all the way back to like the early days of, or the very first days of like on-screen sci-fi, there's a there's a kind of strain of it in in Metropolis. Where you have the, oh, the robot yeah. that gets the the consciousness of Maria, or the a fake consciousness of Maria, downloaded into it, and and it it sounds it sounds like a great basis for a plot.
3: I I do think it is a strong basis for a plot, and not only that, there's there's um there's a foundation that's there that they've thought about, and they do put it in through the movie, there is like a through line thought process of it. You know, there are the rules to it that, that make sense and there's a there's like a bit of a world built around it that does kind of make sense, which I do think is one of the strong points of this. You know, there's like people are aware of what the of what being a free jack is and what who the bone jackers are and what the technology is and it's so I think I think stuff like that is, you know, strength and does help it. And I do wonder how much of that was set from the
0: book that they've grabbed and put in here. Did any of you guys find it odd that Alex never meets another free Jack? Because I did. Yeah,
1: I was going to say that to be kind of, yeah. um, maybe I was going to get into it a little later afterwards, kind of talked about what the plot did include. But I think that we were missing some stuff that maybe would have helped to sort of flesh out the, the basic. Sort of central thesis, right? The
0: first people he meets when he goes back to the apartment, they they're just common as muck and they know what
2: a free jack is. So I was like, well, he's gonna meet one. It finds hard that they'd know what a free jack is though, because if we're led to believe the plot, then uh Estev Alex, um Emilio Esteve as the character, he he shouldn't have woken up. He actually escaped. So a free jack on the on the run and on the streets is a rare if not, this is a unique time for mm. free Jacks. So you should only have ever really read about them and they should go straight into, cause it's very clever taking, you know, that he was going to die in 1991. And that's why they've taken him because he's essentially dead and to do it that way. But surely that's why, Gally, because. You would never encounter a free jack. They, they go straight into uh, being lobotomized and used for the highest bidder. Talk
3: about the intro, which is a, with the music, which is a strange cross between like industrial Terminator percussion and softcore porn saxophone. <laughs> oh, it's <the> saxophone <laughs> in it. It's
2: real That's saxophone through this though. There's even uh, I was looking at the credits. There's even a saxophone player credited, and there I'm is. Not- he's he's uh, he's just <laughs> running eh? <laughs> when, when there's
1: loads of like really miserable, kind of hollow-eyed, sad kids. I
3: think he's in the dumpster, baby.
1: Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's playing directly to it. <laughs> you could ask why he's not helping that little kid. is like, why well, I'm helping him through the medium of jazz
2: <laughs>
0: the film's got a lot of uh, staple 80s sci-fi films but the, the opening for me felt a little bit running man with the mm. credits going to the left and right and it got, obviously it's a chase film as well so there's a little bit of that in there but yeah it's such a strange odd beginning especially because it, it throws you straight in right we, we're we're essentially in the future the first, is it the first person we see is Mick Jagger with a helmet?
2: Okay, let's do it. <laughs> 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 that,
0: that, comes,
3: uh, that does come after our introduction to uh, Alex. Oh, yeah. the oh, yeah.
2: He's in bed. Oh, he really yeah. struggled with his fucking alarm clock. The first person
1: we see is Estevez with his, with his ass directly pointed down the lens. <laughs> Doesn't go topless though, Dev.
3: Yeah, in like, disgusting grey
2: underwear.
3: Ill. But then Rene Russo ends up and the all right.
2: Even when R- Russo comes along, I didn't f- immediately get that they were boyfriend and girlfriend. I thought they were siblings.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they are remarkably mismatched in almost every way throughout the whole film. There's a
0: physical manifestation of the fact that they are not meant to be together. There's a shot when they, he finishes his race and he gets out of his car. And they're walking and it's in a long shot.
2: Oh, it's awful.
0: S- S S is tiny. Russo is dominating him in the shot and then they're, they're standing in step and, it, yeah. and then the, and then the next shot they do a Tom Cruise because the they open the <laughs> over the reverse SMS is all about it I was like I was laughing my head off when they're no.
2: walking along Gally it's really awkward their body language
1: and them hitting each other like their best mate she's taken most of this film very very seriously which it kind of stands out and the fact that she has to go <laughs> running over to his little pink sports car and say, you're hot rock and roll driving <laughs> which is <seems> like, <laughs> which <seems> like <laughs> the, the sort of thing you'd expect to see on a knockoff t-shirt in a market in Japan <laughs> just, just random cool words <laughs> <laughs> in a round. Oh, rock and roll driving oh, good, you're good. coming out of the turn if you did hit the brakes a second sooner that wouldn't have
2: happened you drive your typewriter.
1: I'll drive
2: my race oh, car. Oh, man, Alex, it's a computer. You are such an asshole.
1: Computer! Ooh, sorry. I'll be all
2: right. God, I hope so, Alex. I quite, I quite like, though, Aiden. I quite like the intercutting between modern day and the future. It's quite off-putting and weird, and, you know, it gets your interest straight away at this film.
3: Again, as well, maybe it was only on re-watching, endless amounts of re-watching, that um, there the yes i agree it does it does it blends those two timelines really well and then also it sets it up with the reason that like you know for their physical retrieval process they've got to be at the location of the death from
1: yeah uh, i really like that
3: and but it's so strange as well there's a there's a in that in that part where um Mick Jagger is introduced, and they're setting up to do the the body grab, essentially. And uh, Mick Jagger's watching the race in the past, but like it's happening currently. Like, he wouldn't be yeah. able to watch that previously, I guess. It's so strange, and, he's just, and that's when he looks at it and goes, he's good.
0: I don't know about you guys, but for me, René Russo kind of fits in there. She's, like, just below Julianne Moore. And I've always just thought that she's got, like, a regal quality that means that when mm. she's trying to play young in those early scenes, I don't buy it one bit. I mean, I know that she used to be a model, and you know, But how,
2: how you can you buy it when 18 years later all they've done is change her hairstyle? <laughs> <laughs> I know,
0: I know. She's uh, she's been fixed, Auntie. She? She's had the doc. Uh, she's had the doc treatment. I the... not "You would
2: recognise me." <laughs> 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 so. <laughs> well,
3: and- and even later on, when they have a rekindling moment again, we're jumping ahead massively. But then I have their rekindling moment, and Rene Russo says, uh, "I'm I'm so much older." And everyone, I think, collectively sits there and goes,
1: "Really?" Because they already looked mental together, and they already <laughs> looked like like completely the wrong ages for whichever version of the car. Like Emilio Estevez doesn't look young enough to be some like hotshot driving guy. Like at least in Days of Thunder, Tom Cruise looked like a little squirt. Yeah, like he legitimately looked like a you know a troublemaking twenty-something tearaway. Whereas I don't know what Estevez's problem is. His eyes are sunk very far into his skull, which makes him seem. <laughs> <which> <laughs> makes him seem... This needs to ask a big question:
3: Was Emilio, and I wrote this, I wrote this down on countless number of these notes, was Emilio Estevez considered a heartthrob at this point in time? Let's unpack the
0: Emilio issue because I, it was weird when I looked at his filmography. Like, he'd been busy. He'd been doing stuff. But then I looked at Free Jack and where it sat, and it came just after Young Gun's Blaze of Glory. So around, around, the time found... of,
1: um, around the time of Judgment Night as well, right?
0: I have a massive, massive soft spot for Judgment Night.
1: As as a chase thriller, it's definitely got a lot more chase and thrill than this one. Had <laughs> <laughs> he done stakeout Out at this point as well? Yeah, that would have been... So, he, so he'd already done the hits. I wonder, if,
0: um, I wonder if Devlin, this is a bit similar to Chevy Chase, just trying to like cling on to something, get yourself on a franchise, do something that's going to that mean that you can move into a different direction because a young guns in, in both films is, is part of an ensemble, which is why I think he works because in this, when he's trying to carry an entire film, he just doesn't have the, the charisma. I don't think, or he's just, he's just blank behind the eyes. because I, like I had a
2: kind of a theory watching this film and Aidan mentioned the scene where, um, Renée says she's a lot older and it, it, that scene is accompanied by uh, Emilio Estevez looking her dead in the eyes with the most dead eyes I've ever <laughs> seen and says you are You're so beautiful. And it's really (laughs) just, it's a statue. It's horrible. But I kind of then, something clicked, and I have a theory that this was his audition for Loaded Weapon, which needs needs that straight face, deadpan, Leslie Nielsen delivery, and this is how he got it.
0: They give him one-liners, but they're all really crap.
2: Um, oh, I mean the lines themselves aren't
0: great but the way he delivers them as well that he says them so quickly that you don't even have a chance to kind of enjoy the line they're not
3: delivered with any real emotion, it's kind of got a little bit of a there was outside of a couple of people tonally this is all over the map but Estevez does seem in this to hit a lot of almost like that soap opera, telenovela style um, like delivering a lot of stuff, it's it's a little bit disconcerting. You feel yeah. like you got a little bit of a psychopathic like background on there.
1: There's a bit at the start when he's uh when David Johansson is trying to introduce him to these uh, prospective sponsors, and he's going to have to do some ass kissing, but he's not in there for that. He's rebel, and he he gets introduced to a guy from a spark plug company, and it's like Mister Plugs, and that's it's 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 a very and. He gets referred to later by uh, Rene Russo as a bit of a hothead, but you don't really see that. He just seems like sort of an idiot and and not a particularly smart protagonist. Did I oversell this kid, gentlemen? I think not. More than just the hottest rookie driver on the circuit. He's photogenic, he's telegenic,
0: he's drug-free, and he's real good to his mom. Is that a face that'll sell motor oil or what? Speaks English too. Say a few words to the nice people, Alex. Hello, son. Champion Spark plugs. Nice to meet you, Mr. Plugs. You excuse us for a second, please.
1: <laughs> Jimmy Connor's attitude.
0: <laughs> Alex They they really do try and lean in on this relationship and that being the, the sort of the, the difference between this and say Running man, which me and Devlin, we've got a bit of a, an affinity for because that just throws. Oh, I watched
2: it the other night.
0: Oh, Patrick, how funny is it that Arnie just decides to grab her neck at the end and kiss her when they have had <laughs> absolutely zero interaction <laughs> throughout the
2: <laughs> whole film? Crazy. I, I, talking of casting decisions, I would have liked Michael J. Fox to have done Free Jack in the Estevez position. I think he would have nailed this. It'd have been oh. so different for him to have gone from the kind of Pulpy, uh, you know, Back to the Future, which were far more commercials, so or something a little edgier with this.
0: I wondered if Estevez had kind of got the bow selector treatment with, that Craig David got, <laughs> you know, because of a night of the Rock screen. I I, 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 actually mentioned it earlier. You know, the Emilio, like, the was he just a bit of a, guy, I swear to yeah, God, yeah. Was he was he just like a running joke at this point because he was like the lesser Sheen? I know he
1: was. Well, that to was. Point. I mean, that was a couple of years. Like a Night of the Roxbury was a good four or five years after after this. This was the year before he did Mighty Ducks. I think probably Mighty Ducks was the thing that made him a bit of a meme.
2: I think we I think we need to leave Emilio alone for a bit now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry, Emilio. <laughs> like, should we be... Yes, I do like Emilio Estevez, and, you know, I, I love him in Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks and Mission Impossible were my first impressions of him when I was younger. And I liked him in both those films. But, but now he's acting alongside Mick Jagger. Oh,
3: Mick Jagger acting alongside Anthony Hopkins. I know,
2: but let's face it, Aidan. Anthony Hopkins did a day on set here. I'm very conveniently away for now. But <laughs> yeah. I, joined,
1: I joined you via 1992's equivalent of Zoom. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm still away. I love how they put
0: a built-in story reason as to why Andy Hopkins is not on set throughout the whole film.
2: <laughs> and then the, the funniest,
0: you know, the funniest thing in the film is the reveal of Andy Hopkins spoilers and who's not seen it in a in a coffin. But but they couldn't get Hopkins to lie down for <laughs> oh. a shot, so they had to build god <laughs>
1: lord it looks as convincing as one of those statues of a native american outside a cigar shop <laughs> <laughs> did hopkins agree to do this before Science
0: the lands and then his agent say am i fuck doing anything oh. more than a day yeah, uh,
2: or did he just say anthony you're hot just take whatever rolls get thrown your way freejack was completed in 91 and was supposed to be released in the and mid like august time 91 but oh. because it was it, it's uh pre-screenings and pre-audience's were, reviews were so bad they decided to delay it and try and better it so really they would have been released at the same time both these films oh, okay, okay. time in 1991 so it's hard to judge that
3: well, well that I, is my
0: theory.
3: Then. i also think that it's um I mean, Anthony Hopkins will take a decent paycheck as well, right? I mean, that transforms movies, et cetera. And he had one, I mean, he was obviously very well known before this. He'd done like movies that got a lot of, um, like critical acclaim and you know, he'd done Elephant Man and, and the Bounty, and like that. He's, he, his body of work at this time was still vast. So, I mean, there is that whole Ben Kingsley scenario where they turn around to him and say, we will give you X amount of money and you will be here for, we will fly you to Atlanta for two days. And, you know, that's got to be a very appealing um, option to just mm. slum it for, for one,
0: right? Yeah. Mm. Although he is great in his, his final scene. I'm at, uh, I don't know about you, where, where are you? Convinced that he was actually doing it for love,
2: it did make it did um, it did tie in why it was Emilio Estevez that they chose though. Which yeah. yeah, I quite I, liked having a proper yeah, reason good. for it.
3: Yeah, and he's so hell bent on it being a Estevez. on it being Emilio because even when that scene uh, where they go to, we well, don't know it's Anthony Hopkins, but that, that scene where they uh, after after Phil Long's escaped. After fucking lobotomizing like seven medics, like shivering <laughs> wrecks, which you know, okay, but that and um, there is that scene where the where the execs and Jonathan Banks and that other exec go up to the spiritual switchboard, I guess, to to, to talk to the shadowy figure, and uh, and they say, you know, oh, should, we should start thinking about an alternative body. And there's a, an outright no, it's that or nothing, which I do think indicates that it's like the reason, that the only reason he essentially wants to live is to
0: have Conquest over and, mm. and get the love of Renny Russo. It felt like a comic book film at that point. It was like Dr. Doom turned around with the, mm. the hood reveal.
2: Mm. I'm so glad you said comic book, Gally. Um, may I just take us out of the film very quickly and ask Aidan to quickly tell us his comic book story because I really want to hear it. Okay,
3: so I'm pretty sure in like 2006... One of my first jobs that I got in the film industry was a, I was the video assistant on a movie called Brideshead Revisited. And uh, that was filming in uh, Yorkshire, Leeds. And I was also being a student at the university. I got picked up for like the, uh, uh, like a trainee position essentially along with uh, our friend Luke Selway, who's also worked in the film in the camera department, who was the camera trainee. Now, We'd shot for about, I think, a month
0: and a
2: half,
3: <laughs> and like I had, I knew, I knew next to nothing about what the, about how the industry worked, or you know, the ins and outs. I would just turn up and set. someone told me very briefly how to do my job, and then I'd mainly carry heavy stuff around uh, after people whilst you know we filmed. Um, we got to the stage where they were going to go down to Oxford and London for two weeks. And I want to take all the crew with them. And so they asked us if we were going to go. And um, they said they would pay us per diems, which – and then they handed us a brown envelope with a couple hundred pounds in, as far as I believe. Now, I didn't know what per diems were. I'd oh, never- they're
2: glorious. I
3: was handed – I was an idiot, and I was handed uh, <laughs> uh, an envelope of cash. And I pretty much immediately went to OK Comics in the centre of league <laughs> and spent every single last cent, uh, every single last
0: penny <laughs> on, on a stack of comic books.
3: then do so that I was given the money on Friday, I bought the comic books on a Saturday. I'd read them all by Sunday, <laughs> <laughs> I went down to. And then I traveled down to Oxford, I think. And then I got to Oxford and was just like, and we all went out and drank. And everyone was talking about how it was great that they had the, that, the, you know, that they had their per diems. And I was just yeah. like, oh, and they're like, drinks, food, living expenses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even have anything to read at that point. I'd already gone through <laughs> So that was a great lesson yeah. because I mainly then scab beers from our friend Luke.
2: <laughs> every now and then, because I was more If Luke's always listening, hello to Luke.
0: Yes, yes. Well. hello Luke. We'll get you on the show.
2: Oh, Aiden, I do love that story. <laughs> so, sorry listeners this, this uh, to I um, to go off the tracks there yeah. and free yeah. Aiden into that story.
0: But. I think we should, we should talk about Mick. Don't you? Yeah. About Mr. <laughs> Jagger? Or, what's his name in this? The names in this are ridiculous, by the way.
1: It's either Vasendak or v- Dick, and it sounds like yeah. every <laughs> single character pronounces it differently. I
0: think,
3: yeah. I think it's v- because I think Emilio Estevez, I think Alex Furlong starts referring to him as Vasendick as a, as a, as like a jagger.
0: Well, before we get into talking about Mick Jagger and what we think of his performance, I have a question, and maybe this feels a little bit loaded, but can somebody of his ilk, with his star persona, can they can they transform and be in a film and embody a different character? Because uh, I no. really couldn't ever stop looking at him, thinking that's Mick Jagger. Yeah. I never. Thought well, of he's,
1: he's he's been in films, but he's he's always yeah. played like oh, he's in *Performance*, the uh, *Nick Rogue* movie, which is very good. Uh, mm. But again, he's playing you know Jagger, and he's done work with Kenneth Anger, but yeah, it's all based around him being. Mitch of the Rolling Stones.
3: He played Ned Kelly in the movie Ned Kelly in 1970. I've not seen (laughs) him. I can not speak to him. But also, I mean, he's done, he's obviously, he had done things that, you know, were a bit outside of his wheelhouse. He was in a scene that was, I found out he was in a scene that was cut from Fitzcarraldo.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, really?
3: Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. So, I mean, honestly, he, was it cut because it was just like that's fucking Mick Jagger
2: doing that I, I ask you this w- would you ask the same question if it were David Bowie well the
0: thing is though
2: with Bowie and obviously I'm I'm
0: thinking of Labyrinth he's he's essentially an extension of David Bowie in that film is he not I mean that's I guess that's what I'm driving at is that there's nothing of the Sandek that feels like it's Mick Jagger it feels like he's obviously trying to to show a different side of his personality like the other one I look at because you're right about David David Beth, David we. But the other one is, uh, you know, something very recent, but Lady Gaga and Star is Born, the, the most mm. recent version. It's fantastic, but she is playing something similar to, it, it it's a safe space, a bit, a bit like, Whitney, a bit like
1: Whitney Houston and Bodyguard, you know, she's playing a singer not called Whitney Houston. All like movie stars and stuff bring, or at least movie stars rather than actors. Actors can portray whatever character they need to portray. But once you get to like movie star status, you dragging, not just dragging, but people will cast you specifically to, to bask in your star aura and for you to bring a kind of cumulative knowledge of who they are via their previous roles with them. So it's the same with like, this is, I mean, it's stunt casting, right? Like yeah. it's a, yeah. Uh, it's, it's intriguing to see Mick Jagger in a sci-fi film. So I assume somebody just must have like pulled it's in a question, favor because it's
2: it? yeah. He said he only had like two weeks to respond and to get involved in the project though. You know, it was a very spur of the moment, Cause... uh, offer and decision that he, he, to get involved in the film, which was interesting. For, to
3: take a 20 year break and then to just make a, such a, <laughs> <off>
2: the <party. laughs> apparently there was a bit of, uh, politics going on with the producers where, uh Anthony Hopkins um, agreed to sign on because he wanted to meet Mick Jagger and never had. And vice versa, they told Mick Jagger that Anthony Hopkins was in the film and then he, Mick Jagger would get to meet Hopkins, who wanted to meet him as well. So apparently there was, you know, like you attach a name to a film and you can start attaching and gaining interest in people. <laughs> in so apparently there was a bit of that going on with, with both of them, uh, which I find very interesting and it kind of, it feels like it makes sense. Um.
0: Well, Hopkins has got form for that because you remember reading about um,
2: the the sequel
0: Hannibal, the Ridley Scott film, and I, I remember mm-hmm. reading an interview with Andy Hopkins, and he said he said I signed on to it not because of Ridley Scott, because only that Philip Seymour Hoffman was was mm-hmm. signed on. So, you know, that, it's interesting, isn't it? But I can imagine Andy Hopkins just wanting to meet Mick, Although, I, couldn't he just go to a gig? You, when you sit in that sort of world
3: where you know you're such a You've got, you're looked after, you're cared for, money's not an issue, you know, you've got the adulation of millions of people like Mick Jagger. And I guess you look around and, and think, well, what is it that, that, what do I, what's like the little things that I want to do? What are the little things I want to check off my list? Oh, I, I'd love to meet Anthony Hopkins. Oh, what, this, this thing? Yeah, fine. I'll do a few weeks on that. You, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like the, the, your, your choice, that your reasoning for certain choices is not the same as, a jobbing actor that's playing, you know, like a named part in a few episodes of like Miami Vice, and I don't know why I went to Miami Vice, but you know, you
2: know <laughs>
3: it's, it's, it's just different. you The higher up you get, your the reasoning for choices becomes different, and sometimes, yeah. you know, there's, there's very there's similarities between like all human beings and what might make a, might what might help them make a decision, and sometimes it can just be down to Oh, yeah, like, I'll go, like, he even mentioned strip clubs in the interview, Mick Jagger, where he's just like, maybe he's just like, I yeah. would hang out at strip clubs for a bit with Emilio Estevez.
2: Because that's kept, what uh, you do.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a great interview, wasn't it? And it, it got a little glimpse into his life, because so I think he just had his fifth child, so he was like, oh, I need to get out of the house and go to a strip club.
1: <laughs> a strip club in Atlanta with, 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 uh, I, I wanted to go with Charlie Sheen, because he seemed like more of a left, but I got the <laughs> lesser, I got the lesser Estevez.
0: Let's talk about Mick Jack. Yes. Why is it that it feels like that he's delivering his lines phonetically and he has to pronounce every consonant and every vowel because mm-hmm. it was really, really put him. Oh, I couldn't work it out. It was like, I know you. Get the mate. <laughs> it, I, I mean, is that I've never really actually heard him speak until Patrick, you sent that link. So is that what he sounds like? Or was he just reading yeah. the lines that way? So he's he's a bit like
2: that, but I do think he was, uh, enunciating on this film. It did seem like a, a performance decision because he, he's trying, for me, he's trying to do a kind of, you know, straight-faced delivery, cool guy, nothing phases him delivery. Um, and maybe that's what he was going for. And if it's Mick Jagger, Who's to say the director didn't just let him do whatever he wanted?
0: (laughs) Mr. Vesendak is
2: leaving now. He is no longer on this case. Let me tell you something. I said I'd deliver furlong and that's what I'll do. Feel free to make any arrangements you like.
0: I read the same things about the problematic test audience and then the reshoots, Patrick, and I know that they added a load of... Uh, comedic scenes, took out some of the action, added a few more character scenes. That's what I read anyway. And I guarantee, when Mick Jagger FaceTimes Emilio Estevez during a tank chase, <laughs> that stuff wasn't actually originally in the film because <laughs> Mick is going at like, a ho- he's at 11, isn't he? He's gone, he's at 11. Like when he's like Oh! It's me! And like, I'm not afraid of the dark." And it's like, uh-huh. what the It doesn't doesn't actually cut into the other footage of that uh, chase sequence when he's actually got a straight face. It's like, what is going on? Hey, Verdon, it's the Sendak. I hate to tell you this,
3: but it's speeding. Where are we going?
2: Oh, no, I hate the dark. Piss off. You can't
3: get rid of me that easily. The beginning of that whole sequence with the FaceTime conversation, it's so strange because... I mean, like, Alex Fairlong and Victor Vesendek have never met or had any interaction by this point.
0: And goes,
3: hey, Fairlong, it's Vesendek. And then Amelia I the Estevez almost reacts like, oh, okay. Like, it's, are they meant to know about each other?
1: It's, it's the, yeah, duel it's weird, it's the it? constant duel. They're, they're trying. They're trying to jump ahead to that whole, you know, oh, the hero and the. I, he's not really the villain, is he? He ends up being like a kind of partial villain, anti-hero, rogue yeah. character. But yeah, they try and make it as if that we're two sides of the same coin. You and I, <laughs> <laughs> but without that actually being remotely the case in the plot. Yeah, they've not
3: had They've not had any scenes together, which builds like a rapport.
2: Yeah. Well, talk about. I know you're a big fan of the stalking in the warehouse, Aiden. We need to talk about creaky leather. <laughs>
3: Sparing, scary, leather. At numerous points in this movie, um, Mick Jagger is wearing some incredibly loud creaky leather, like uh, in in um, Michelette's office. Very slow stalking chase which just revolves, <laughs> which just involves a lot of shuffling in Creaky leather. With kind of Mick Jagger looking like he's a really confused granddad, not mm. quite sure what he's doing. I mean, it might have been very late at night, and he's just like, What? <laughs> oh, this, is, this is Atlanta? And then yeah. just because he, he wanders over. This is meant to be a guy that's got a military background, I would imagine. He's the leader of a band of mercenaries. And he just kind of shuffles left and right in the open, and it's,
1: oh yeah! It, it's, at one point, just presents himself as a target to four lads with machine guns, and manages yeah. to not get shot by any one of them.
3: Yeah. Wearing the biggest target of that insane helmet,
1: yes, the insane helmet, and his and his his jacket, which I can only assume is a taxi car seat cover.
2: When he starts counting. um I give you five minutes, Ed. To start um, one Mississippi. Two. They. Some reason uh, it clicked finally that what he reminded me of, and it, I like this that. this shouldn't be um, a criticism of this guy because I think he's a great actor and very funny. Devlin, someone we've seen live, uh, Jermaine Clement. Oh yeah. He, he, when he starts counting that, he really reminded me of Jermaine Clement doing in his funny New Zealand accent, <laughs> just being silly. And then I realised, like. This performance is just so strange and almost laughable in its simplicity, because he doesn't do. There's no range here with Jagger. It's No, whether he's trying to terminate it up or be a really cool rock
1: star, that's there's um there's one little bit, you know, with his uh with his mate who's got the 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 scars around the eye and the one the, the one sunglasses lens. Oh, is this
2: when he tests mm. out whether he's lying on the computer?
1: Yeah, are they supposed to be a couple? <laughs> no, it's like legitimately, i never they thought he, of it they you know because i mean jagger's always had a bit of a kind of uh, androgynous appeal and and uh uh he's kind of famously i as far as i'm aware he's kind of famously sort of fairly open about these things and i just i i saw like there's some there's some chemistry and he's playing it so do kind you of really
2: think that this film is going to put that subtext into it
1: it's no but also, maybe they decided between them, like, fuck it, this is how we should play it, it's the only way it makes it an interesting scene, otherwise who cares.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, they're in what looks like his living room. Not in like a, it's not like a HQ, is it? He sat down, he sat down having some sweets.
1: It's the, it's the, the look of offense on the guy's face where it's like, you, you wanna test me? And it's like, yeah. you know, it only really makes sense if they are, you know, uh, uh, fairly intimate with each other.
0: Are you guys actually fans of the Rolling Stones? Because, um, because I am. Have
1: you, have you
2: ever seen them, Gally? <laughs> well,
0: you, anyone would think that that, that question I just asked was planted. What um, a segue! Yes. <laughs> yeah, what a segue! <laughs> yeah, no, um, went to
2: see them a couple of years ago now. Uh, was
0: it maybe three years ago? 2017. I have a
2: feeling I was supposed to go with you and I couldn't... You were, you
0: couldn't make it, I think it was work. But, yeah. um yeah, we got to see them at Murrayfield. Listen, Patrick, you, you would have seen me at my lowest ebb. <laughs>
1: I've been I've been trying to find the photograph of this because I took my favorite photograph of a Galley.
2: Oh my god. That I've ever
1: taken at this point. Um it's
2: just the level that you were in that house party we went to in East London, <laughs>
1: yeah. it. was in a, it was a, a, a different kind of state of, uh, of, of distress. We'd had a lovely day out in Edinburgh, I'd not been for years, and then, uh, we, we after the gig, we, we came to get the train back to, to Glasgow, and obviously this is like, Murrayfield's massive, right? was it, like, 80, 70, 80,000 maybe?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah,
1: and of course it was the only gig they were playing in Scotland so uh, a huge amount of people were coming across from Glasgow so they funneled us down to the uh, train station in Edinburgh uh, underneath the train station they put a bunch of um, really crappy like metal fences like the kind of thing you'd get in front of a wrestling show in the 90s and it was like, a, like snaking back and forth this big queue and it was sort of terrifying and a terrible fire hazard and we were down there for what... Felt like what, like ninety minutes maybe, and not incl- not including the walk from the stadium, and also you know stadium beers and whatnot. We'd been out for for a day, so a uh, uh, gals found that uh, he had a, he had a bit of a bladder on him, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously trapped in the concrete underneath a large train station with what seemed to be thousands of people, and they were running what like a train. It must have been a train every thirty minutes. It was abysmal planning. Um, and, uh, it, it, the, the distress radiated out and lots of people in the queue around us could hear Gally talking about how his kidneys were going to explode like, Ape Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, oh, and then people were offering some, some lads had knocked off, um, a 350 milliliter glass bottle of Kraken rum, which comes in that <laughs> really like, uh, uh, elaborate glass bottle. And they offered him this tiny little carved glass bottle. Maybe sh- oh, I can't do a Scottish accent, unfortunately. I can only revert to Northern. Maybe I can piss that. And <laughs> obviously, I can't. I've got way more piss than that.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then we- so we got the, go the train. Managed to find a, um, a, a seat somehow, but that didn't help because that, if anything, just crunched his bladder up even smaller.
0: Yeah, I had to get Devlin to like. Give me a coat. And then, unfortunately, there were women and children
1: all around me. <laughs> and, uh, <I> was, <laughs> Half of the train carriage, again, fully aware that this is what was happening, all saying, just do it, lad. Just do it,
0: mate. <laughs> just, just do it. I'm like, oh, fuck it. Yeah. And then I think eventually, you know, not to get too explicit, but hey, we're an explicit podcast. I got the tip in and I just couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. There was like a woman basically knew what was happening behind her head. And I just went, Devon, I can't do it. And then eventually, I think I just braved it. No, it was when we, when we pulled in, I held it in for so long. And oh my God, the relief.
1: Well, cause you were convinced that you were, <laughs> you were convinced that the- I just thought, like,
0: I, well, you kept saying just piss yourself. I was
1: like, not terrifying. <laughs> Well, what, uh, at a certain point, we, we noticed that there was a toilet at the other end of the carriage, and you were like, it'll be broke. <laughs> 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 no, no, it might be worth a shot. And then it turned out it was working fine. You just tortured yourself for no reason. <laughs>
2: it's
1: also a good good job that it stopped at every tiny little village across the entire of central Scotland as well.
0: Yeah, it, it put a, a slight down there to what was a great gig. I tell you what, when it comes down to design, because we'll move into design, This film's really weird. Like, it's got a real hodgepodge of ideas. It felt like a 50s, 60s sort of Twilight Zone image of the future where you've got this, like, gringy, grimy sort of dystopian look that's kind of already been done better in um, in Escape from New York. And then they've got these, like, 50s cars. And then they've also got these... These bodies, uh, of cars, but they've just been, you can see where the carpentry is over the top of a real vehicle. Like the go Well, cars, Those, those know, kind of, it.
1: uh, look like, um, Minority Report. The, the bubble cars in the, in the rich mm. bit. Oh,
0: yeah, I, they
3: do. Homer Simpsons designed,
2: um. <laughs> 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 One of the weird things about the future in this, it, it immediately reminded me of what, What Back to the Future 2 said happens if Biff Tannen got hold of the sports almanac. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, like everyone's got a gun and just fucking willing to shoot everyone. But (laughs) there's a, there's a weird thing, isn't there? Like the films at the time, they, they do this and it's kind of hammer home the message that we're destroying the earth and this is what happened in the future. But I feel like Demolition Man, something you spoke about recently has a stronger message that things can be better in the future when certain steps are taken and Why do you think it has to be so shit in the future, Gally?
0: Kind of, actually, maybe a bit of a tell as to why this film didn't do so well. It's because we've seen this already. Like, this this Hmm, felt like a vision of the future that had became pretty tired and had been recycled in better films. You know, look at Running Man... Total Recall, you know, even RoboCop.
1: RoboCop especially has the kind of the, the corporatist. The corporate, yeah. 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 Like uh, yeah. Uh, the the state has been sold out to corporate interests and there's acid
0: rain. We talked about it in Demolition Man. They're a very clear vision of the future and it only mm-hmm. came like a year after this, which is why I think it felt a bit fresher. Well,
2: Yeah, I- and almost cooler as well, I think, with Demolition Man. There's things in this, in Freejack, that just seem to happen for the sake of moving the film along. Well,
3: I I think there's part of that. It might be there's there's so many kind of references and um, and throwbacks to other things that have come before it that they're, I don't know if they're trying to pay homage or just this looked at like literally a shot or a scene and thought that concept's cool, we'll put it in this. Because I mean, there's people involved in this that were like the producer, Ronald Shussett was involved with Total Recall. He wrote the screenplay. You know, a lot of people involved in this that have, done, that have been involved in with these other sci-fi movies and with these other like um, projects that have these links to this to 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 free to free jack because i mean there's like even the cab when it turns up the cab the, the music accompaniment to the cab turning up and him jumping in is very reminiscent of escape from new york
2: mm-hmm. where yeah big influence
3: on this one. There's so much of that all the way through. There's like, I mean, I, I know I mentioned the, um, the, like the, again, with the music at the beginning, it had like a, a Terminator industrial percussion. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's little throws to like the, to, to, you know, the Western what to, a, to a Western where they're like, where, I mean, the is in the, uh, is in the diner. And, you know, he's kind of having the stand up with the guy that pulls the gun on him. And that's kind of sh- like, a scene out of young guns, and due to the way he's dressed, there's just, there's a lot of moments in this movie that seem to be taken from like a snippet of something else and dropped into it to amalgamate it, you know, to and, and, and slice together to make like a series of sequences. None of which are particularly strongly coherent, but at the same time is an attempt build a world and tell a story which I don't necessarily think works very well.
0: Aiden, I don't know if you can rationalise this why do we spend so long with um, with the, the commissioner from <laughs> The Wire just eating a rat? Because <laughs> that scene goes on for about seven minutes and I was yeah. like what are we doing in this chase film just yeah. sat at the dock talking about eagles I mean I was laughing because I was like what the fuck is going on? The, yeah as far
3: as Frankie Faison's introduction as he, he, on his IMDb page it, he's down as Eagle Man. I think Rat Man would be more. Um, <laughs> a, it would be more fitting. But uh, yeah, that is a very. I noted that again on numerous notes saying about how off kilter and out of place that scene seemed. seemed. Hmm. And, to the stage where it's got its big push in at the end on Frankie Faison's face, that, that suddenly I was just like, "Is this meant to be dramatic? Is this meant to be?" Because there's, I don't know whether just everyone in that in that scene's got to, like involved with it's got the tone wrong. Because at one point, Phil Long, Alex Furlong pulls out his gun after he's jumped off the bridge after the after being chased by go karts and tanks. <laughs> a champagne delivery truck.
1: <laughs> <laughs> would you, would you shear the top off of, like a cartoon? Uh, Yet
3: yeah, the steering wheel remains intact, despite the fact it ha- <laughs>
1: like,
3: he, So he's jumped off the bridge into the water, he's climbed up, and he pulls his gun out, and he says something like, is this what it's come to, what's the point? And I was like, is he meant to be contemplating suicide? Man... <sighs> it's come down
0: to this what's the point
1: <laughs> he riddles me the ancient riddle <laughs> what's the point <laughs> have you ever seen an eagle flying back to his home with dinner for the missus and all the little eagle babies and he's flying against the wind and he's flying in the rain and he's flying through bullets and all kinds of hell and then right at that moment, he's about to get back to his nest. He says,
2: Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a drag being an eagle. <laughs> when he, he
1: finishes by saying something like, uh, you're not finished yet, Furlong, or something.
0: Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Which well, which is then, very confusing.
0: Very, very. And it, it feeds into another bit that was really confusing that the film just completely like, pays lip service to, which is... Is Alex Burlong supposed to be like a, a symbol of hope in this oppressive world? Because the body. Yeah,
1: because he makes Boone's grandma smile.
0: Yeah, it's like he <laughs> make my granny smile. It's like, yeah, but what's that got to do with the world? Like free Jack's coming in. Yeah, that's how's that going to change the world? Like I, I couldn't well, work it out, and the film doesn't really do anything with that. Is so is that
1: like- where um when we said that maybe if if there was this idea of of um, we need to know the scale of how many people. Free get chance. get bone jacked right because there's a bunch well, of stuff that, they they could have done one of which was um because uh, uh renee russo after she gets uh uh reunited with with alex she's supposed to be 20 years older than him even though neither of them look any different so it's kind of the the age difference is lost which is a real shame because you could do a lot with it what if um we we're in a world where because she's at a high level corporate position she probably sees a lot of other very wealthy people. What if a bunch of them were just like swaggering 20 somethings who had, you know, they'd been replaced by like, I don't know, some, some famous movie star. Cause if you, if whoever's died has to be famous enough that they know exactly where and when they died. What if it's, you know, some famous young movie star or model and uh, the fashionable thing now for, for all these kind of captains of industry to do is to. Uh, transplant their consciousness into, into these attractive younger bodies. And maybe Rene Russo is one of the few holdouts and she seems kind of uncomfortably just like a decade, two decades older than everyone else. And then it makes it kind of more interesting that she's older than Alex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that, well, Devlin, write it. Let's get free. Right.
1: (laughs) Cause, uh, you know, then, then we'd know that, uh, the, the amount of people that they'd be bringing back would be a lot. And then that increases the number of potential uh, people who have escaped, i.e., freejacks. Maybe, maybe even we hear about one of them having been like a, you know, an an, an organizer or you know, if you going all the way back to Metropolis, like the uh, the the Savior character, and in that maybe there's like a I the thing is it's only 19 years. Like how fucked can I mean, not that you want to tempt fate, but like. How not only fucked can society get, but can it completely forget what it was like less than 20 years ago?
3: But that scene where you see the crusty old dude getting his blue plate special mm-hmm. and it looks revolting. i was just, There was a lot in there that was just like, oh, this does kind of like set. This is, you know, a decent bit of world building.
2: I waited 20 minutes for this shit. <laughs> yeah,
3: so, so this is the crux of it, right? That's, he says that it took him 20 minutes to get that piece of shit. A gunfight erupts, one of Sir Alex Furlong's ex-manager slash friend is killed in cold blood by that guy. (laughs) Um,
2: It's Biff Tannen's world, I told you.
3: The world's slowest bike chase takes place and culminates with Emilio Estevez driving his bike back through the diner And knocking over that guy to get food again. So in that time where it took him 20 minutes to get that food beforehand, in the two minutes that they're having this incredible little bike chase, they've removed a corpse.
2: (laughs) 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 They've got his food again. And
3: he's just sat down like nothing's happening.
2: I I just struggle throughout the whole film about uh, Alex Falong's motives. Mm. Surely he'd want to go back to 1991. Yeah. Why did we never explore the science and ask if the science could get him back? Is it feasible? Is what is the time travel rules in this? Is it two way street? Is it one way? Like in Looper or something? And I, I was kind of struggling, waiting for that explanation. And I, he, his kind of all motives in the whole film. really buy him he's
1: a protagonist who's literally confronted his own
2: death
1: yeah he essentially died like he was uh uh, fractions of a second away from impending death he's had to see his own death pretty much and then he's been yanked out of it um it's a real it's a real open goal that they've missed there, not having a character who's you know uh, uh completely fucked and instead just wants to be a esta chucklehead
0: <laughs> yeah but, but the film wants to be an Estevez vehicle with a sci-fi action slams the, the problem i had with it was that patrick was touching upon my biggest issue with this film which is it's yes it's totally all over the place but where's the momentum so when he when mm-hmm. he gets into the future the first thing he wants to do is find his girlfriend okay fine when I mean, I don't really buy that. I'd be more concerned about what the fuck's just happened to me. But, okay, let me find my girlfriend. He finds his girlfriend. She dismisses him. Then he's on a chase. It takes him about an hour to finally say, right, I need to find out the person that's that's trying to claim me. It's -hmm. like, why aren't you doing Why isn't this a straight up? Like, Harrison Ford, a year later, the fugitive, investigate the thing that has caused you to be, to fuck your entire life up. Instead, it takes him like an hour to go, and have a conversation with Brandy Russo to understand, oh, right, okay, so we need to get in touch with someone to find out who's trying to claim it. It's like, no, that should have been the first
2: thing. Once you knew what a free jack was, that's the first thing you want to do. Like, who's after me? Also, with the science, just a quick one, and Aiden, you've watched it the most. What happens to, <laughs> and I have a theory on this, what happens to Anthony Hopkins' body at the end when they swap consciousness?
3: What happens to his body?
2: just disappears from the set. I think Anthony Hopkins, they ran out of time with him and he fucked off, so they had to do the remainder, because he's not there, his body's not there on the floor, and surely if they're saying it's a swapping of consciousness, his his body should still be there, right?
3: Anthony Hopkins' physical body, I believe, is down on the 100th floor next to Michelette's office.
2: But I thought that was a ruse, I thought that was all...
3: I thought that was his real body, and then, because then when... When they get called back up in the elevator, they go up to the 200th floor, and that's where the spiritual switchboard is. And so that's just his – I was under the impression that that was just his essence. Kind of
1: like a visual manifestation that he's – Like when he did the
2: Star Wars thing in the hoodie earlier on in the film. You don't want to photograph that horrible model
3: of Anthony Hopkins again.
2: (laughs) Usually a consciousness would have to be – at the time, I'd imagine – a floppy disk being inserted, or you know, <laughs> yeah. USB, but it's just a floating image of himself. Then, yeah, lawnmower man graphic, Lawnmower man. Yeah, mm.
0: I will say, I will say this because I've, I've dogpiled on this film for for some time. I do quite like when the transfer is a, is is happening, and we see um, Estevez kind of retrack moments in the film. It's a little bit cheesy. But I like the effects and I think it's quite it's it's quite disturbing. I was like, this is the bit that felt quite creative. Oh, or, oh no, Devlin, are you going to stop and just say it was all a bit shit? <laughs> <I, I>, like,
1: <laughs> it was the scream and his face turning into <laughs> fire, and the fact they did the same scream, I think, three times?
0: Yeah, three times, I counted it too. I was like, I thought that was quite disturbing though, it felt lynching to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I liked <laughs> I the, the bit before coming.
1: it, I liked the bit where um, uh, Hopkins was sort of wandering around and he'd walk out of a building and then the building would disappear behind what him. dreams make come? Yeah, the clouds kind of racing overhead, suggesting that he's running out of time.
2: TV screen that comes up and then he appears behind them. I liked all that depth. That was quite cool.
1: Yeah. It was, I I, just, I I thought the film re-picked up for a little bit there. I was in.
2: Was a really cool map painting with they got up an escalator as well. Did you see that?
1: I did. It looked kind of uh, like it's 1950s futurist yeah. art. Yeah. I thought it
2: looked ace, actually. It was really kind of... I would have, I would have liked to
1: see more of that.
2: Well, it, it, yeah, it more stands of that. out like a sore thumb, because it's just the only shot that looks yeah. like that. If, if there was more design like that, I'd have been happy, but yeah.
1: What you call that? Bad. like Art, Art Nouveau sort of? Kind of like the yeah, Rocketeer sort of designs? Mm-hmm. That kind The yeah, yeah, mid-40s you, you, futuristic yeah. stuff. The shadow,
2: that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's not just like... Standard cyberpunk nonsense. It's actually got a little bit of proper design. Oh, it's to some it. good
2: design um, there. And you know what? If I'm gonna, you've spoken your positive there, Gally. For mine, I actually think the film shot and lit quite well. I think it looks quite nice. Oh, the silence. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, I think, I, I think the
2: cinematography's got, a they, yeah. I think I get I
1: confused because, them, because the I set design's for shit. So yeah. it's the, the stuff they are filming is crap.
2: But I think, I think the cinematographer here is done you can tell he's giving it a go.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm. Like I can tell there's effort in the cinematography here and I really appreciate that as
0: well. When Jago's stalking Esteban's for ten minutes, it is just a warehouse and he's made that warehouse the best it can be.
1: That looks like such a such a mystery science to a three thousand type film. Like there's a bunch of these films they used to do on Mystery Science Theater 3000 where they they make fun of them and it is just like little little helmets and and little carts riding around an abandoned factory and it's uh this film had a bit of that of like that middle hour was so padding.
2: But my favorite bit of um Estevez with the gun though, Aiden, is when they're coming down in the elevator and the, the worst bloody background artists, policemen at the bottom who don't look like they know what they're doing with the guns start to get ready to shoot on the elevator. Estevez, uh, Alex Verhung establishes he's got one bullet left and then Mick Jagger comes to the rescue but then Estevez still fires off the one bullet. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even get a cut to see where he fired into so he just wastes the bullet and it's ridiculous.
3: Because Estevez is have the blood
0: of one guy's like what one, one guy's blood on his hands. Yeah, that, that happens so many times. Like you, you, you do think with action films, you've got to be creative. Most audiences have seen, you know, they've seen pretty much everything. So you have to like invent something new. But in this film, they're just like, right, if someone's about to get killed, enter character stage left and just shoot and be like oi and yeah. then that's it it happens twice I think René Russo does it the, uh, the first time and then and then again yeah
1: and then Banks Banks does it at the end yeah um, that that very that very ending is uh oh, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sparse set isn't it when <laughs> When after, after over like the bit with the, with the green screen and the, you know, the, the kind of the stalling with the numbers, I was like, alright. And then when she shoots the crystal and it's like, oh, this is a big ass bare concrete room with <laughs> about six people <laughs> shuffling around it. Sees him! And then two, two lads just go and have a little shuffle over.
3: We, where do we start with this? We get to our ending point, which has, like, cross, double cross.
1: So who do, who does the first who crosses first? I
3: guess McGabby double crosses first because he guns down all those security forces in there to save. Yeah. You know, no, hang on, Jonathan Banks double crosses first because
1: he. Yeah. Uh, so he yes. he double crosses Hopkins by yeah. saying I have no intention of of putting him of giving him a a, a body. Yeah. And then he also double crosses maybe if Rene Russo and slaps him in the fucking face for no reason then they would have he would have just let him go they've, they've got like a revised version of that um, hang on
3: which one's the real McCad list? but it's one person is is such a strange like it's 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 very odd and then uh, the and so he's asked to give he's asked to give his personal id number yes and then Emilio Estevez gives a very very convincing just aggressive scream of number
1: sequence. Which, hmm. I assume he's using the numbers that he did from the stalling no, sequence. Uh, I
0: it assumed it as well, and then you realise that he's actually just a dumbass, and it was only because the canvas helped him that he got away with it. He just blagged it. Again, he's an idiot. Absolute idiot. I thought the same thing, and it's like, I didn't pay attention to the digits, but I assumed he was just... <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, because it started with a six, and I remember, the, yeah, I remember the other one started with a six. And then, of course, like yeah. when you find out later when Jagger's that, you aren't even close. I? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I I am um, on, on a numerous rewatch. I paused and wrote down the numbers that were on the keypad and then listened to the ones that um, I mean, I started to recount back, and I, for the briefest of moments, thought, oh, this makes sense. And then it doesn't. He very quickly goes off uh, off script.
1: <laughs> that is a real shame that they couldn't just like put that one small detail in where like our protagonist actually does something that displays skill.
3: All, all the way through, they've tried to drop these nuggets. All the way through the movie, they try to drop these like subtle background nuggets that like you know he's they're not even that subtle, but it's like he's he's you know he's knows he's a tough guy he's hot-headed he's like uh, fast like a fast thinker on his feet there's like he's a natural born winner there's like you know he's confident there's like there's a there's a Mick Jagger at one point is sitting in his love nest and um and the, and he's looking at a picture i think it's pictures on the of, of like Emilio Estevez from when he's a race car driver and it's a um, uh, looking really cocky and it says handwritten pedal uh, pedal to the metal <laughs> it's like uh, René Russo, where she has this moment where she, where after she's chased Emilia Estevez out of the, um, out of her apartment, where she's reflecting, and there's a newspaper clipping in the background uh, of the picture of the two of them, and it says Furlong's Porsche wins event, unbeatable.
1: Yeah, fuck, I wrote down the exact same yeah. thing because it's ridiculous. <laughs> what a ridiculous sentence to
3: read. They keep there's all these things that I think are there to basically like try and um enhance his his action star leading man his action star leading man image of this character and it's just like you just say, all the way through just like he's He's an
0: idiot. Yeah, the, the, and the double crossing, I mean, it was like Indiana Jones and the Crystal School, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jonesy! Like,
1: oh, Jonesy!
0: Right. I'm a triple agent! Yeah, it just, it, it became laughable in a way, but it, the Robocop stuff with, um with Jonathan Banks, the way he gets kind of shot to shit, like, they needed more of that basically. There just wasn't enough blood and guts if they were gonna go, I guess they, they changed their mind, didn't they? It was clearly a far more Harder dystopian future action film, and then it kind of reined it back into a, a slightly more comedic piece. Because we're not even mentioned Amanda Plummer as the um, uh. hilarious, hilarious nun, but that had to have been like an insert that couldn't have been in the original film, surely. Like it's just so random, but she's great. She brings a different energy to it. But she's in a different film, though. Yeah, she's in a different film. Yeah, like as,
1: as is the the scene. I mean, she only pops up twice. First time to do some comedy blasphemy and give Emilio Estevez a gun and then to kick Jonathan Banks in the testicles yeah, in a yeah. scene that just starts and That's then it, ends.
2: it lingers on his face, struggling with testicles quite a lot as well, doesn't it? Oh, it's,
0: it's, it's Joe Pesci home alone territory. <laughs> really,
3: really.
2: <laughs>
3: final bit that I just really need to get off my chest and it only really came about from the final watch to uh, this morning where um, Emilio Estevez's big sign-off as he's, as, you know, as he's been, you know, it's come to its conclusion, he's going to take on the persona of McAdlus um, in public and have all the power. And Mick Jagger's turned from um foe to friend and, and is letting go. And he's sitting in this old timey, old timey car and he says, let's see what this baby will do, and drives away. And we all know that that's like a Model T Ford, which probably does like 20 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, what where that, is it that uh, um, Mr. Burns says yeah. about his old car, where it's like, is it on a thimble of kerosene? <laughs> 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 it, just, it just requires Mick Jagger's character to walk in front of it with two
3: red flags, as he, as he makes it. His- <laughs>
0: Well, there you go. That is Free Jack. So um, I do feel like my consciousness has, uh, has left me. and I've been replaced by someone else, mainly someone who's uh, been overly, maybe overly uh, critical of this one. But we will see what we all think. So, Aiden, I think we'll start with you because this is the reappraisal of uh, a, child, a beloved ch- childhood film. So, um, so, yeah. What, any final thoughts? So the questions I normally ask are, you know, final thoughts on Free Jack. And would you recommend it to our listeners? Um
2: no, is the
3: short answer. Like so
2: <laughs> I see. You recommend it to us, Aiden, but not to the listeners. Well <laughs> I know you're game. Yeah, it,
3: obviously nostalgia played a big part in this one for me. And I know and there's don't get me wrong, there are positives to this. I've I, I know this the, from listening to all the podcasts up to now, the set of visit like, you know, did you waste your time as a youth watching this? No, I don't believe I did. It was like a good, fun film when I was young. And um, then there's the, then it comes to the point where would you recommend this to people now? Honestly, I wouldn't. I know you guys. I feel that you guys are always quite very pleasant and nice about a lot of things. You and I love the fact that you guys look for the positives a lot of the time. I think this is an hour and forty four minutes where there's far greater. I think there's far better things out there. That come from the same era, that give you the same kind of tastes in your mouth, that 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 hit the same, that are just a lot more satisfying. And so I'm going to be a little bit more ruthless and say I wouldn't really recommend to watch it now. There's yes, there's some good things, Mick McJagger being the main, but just as in as a whole, there's a lot going on in the world right now, and you're I think you can find something better to spend an hour 44 of your life doing at
2: the minute. Whose uh, opinion do you want to hear from next, Aiden? Uh,
3: I want to, I want to hear yours, Gally, because you're always, I, I have to think, I, you're the one that takes a positive, critical view on things out of, out of, I think you and Matt usually put forward,
0: like, the, the most positive, but critically thought through arguments. You all do. Yeah, I'll I'll try and find the positives. I guess I'm with you. I, I don't think I could recommend this to, um, sort of a casual, uh, viewer looking for a, a sort of Friday night or Saturday night bit of, you know, hour and 45 minute escapism. Um, it's mainly because the world that they create has been done far better in, in in other films of that era, like you said. You know, I think you look at something like Escape to New York and even though Running Man, I love Running Man, but I know it's rubbish, um, but Arnie is super charismatic in it and it's also just kind of silly and stupid and Richard Dawes, uh, Dawson is doing some awesome work and it feels like a film that is, well, self-contained this one is all over the place because I think it's just overly ambitious. I think they try and tackle too many sci-fi concepts and they don't focus in on the one that they really should do, which is the free jacket. Like instead of the world and, and how shit it's getting, why aren't we concentrating on the, the sci-fi device of which the plot is based upon? They don't, they don't do it. And then they bring it in right at the end for some double crossing. So I think they could have explored that a little bit more. Um, I will probably recommend it to Rolling Stone's completionists, mainly because it's a chance to see Mick in a different, you know, guise. Uh, And quite frankly, the FaceTiming scene when he's chasing Estevez in the tank got belly laughs out of me. Estevez is no Tom Cruise. And I think there's a reason why he's the, the lesser of that sort of family elite. And he works better for me in an ensemble where he can sort of shine intimately, amongst other stars. And it's actually quite indicative that Tom Cruise just kind of threw him a bone in Mission Impossible to die after two minutes. <laughs> it kind of feels like, uh, it kind of felt like a loaded, a loaded, uh, favor that he threw. But yeah, that's my, that's my opinion. I think it's, um, it's sci-fi hot nonsense that doesn't quite deliver. And um, it's not fun enough and it's not stupid. Well, it's stupid enough, but it's not, it's not bad enough to kind of enjoy at that kind of, so bad it's good level. It's just sort of meandering in that lower middle echelon. So yeah. I know that was a, a roundabout way of saying no. <laughs> so there you go. Um Devlin, what about you, mate? I mean, yeah, help me out.
1: Um Yeah, I kind of have to agree that it's um uh it is very, very, very stupid in places. More stupid than uh you mentioned like right at the top, Aiden that there's a lot of um Talent involved or people who have proven themselves to be able to do, if not like flat out good things, then good but stupid or stupid but good or entertaining, you know, something like a running man, which is, uh, you know, lunk headed, but in all the right ways. It's kind of, it's uh, it's really satisfying kind of junk food. And this doesn't really have that because, um, the first time I tried to watch it, I fell asleep a little bit. Um, <laughs> It was, to be fair, it was yesterday afternoon and I had a big hangover because I'd taken my mum out to get pissed on really strong Belgian beers. Wow. (laughs) That's what I do on a Monday now. Life gets weird when you turn into your 30s. So I found it uh, kind of slow, which is always a bit of a death knell for a film like this. And it felt long. But on the other hand, uh, nostalgia being what it is... even though i have absolutely zero nostalgia for this film itself because i'd i think vaguely heard of the title but i I'd, I'd never seen it or, or really knew anything about it but there's there is something that i find really comforting about watching a film like this where it's you know such familiar elements and then um i don't know like uh, familiar elements but rearranged in a way that i'm not quite used to but because it's quite slow and a bit boring bore so mad as fuck I found it oddly soothing in a, in a, in quite a good way. Um, I don't think I'd even recommend it as one of those films to watch with a bunch of mates and sort of laugh about. But on like a Sunday afternoon, if you just want to sort of switch off for a bit, I don't know. There is something a bit, a bit kind of zen about it that I would say, I don't know. So yeah, that's my recommendation. It's the weakest recommendation you can have, which is if you are hungover on a Saturday afternoon, and you feel like watching something from the 90s that you've not seen before, maybe fall asleep in front of this. <laughs> um, so yeah, how about you, Patrick? Would you ever watch this again or tell anyone? To I,
2: I actually would, uh, mainly because I've only watched it the once. Apologies, Aidan. Films like this, I kind of like to watch the once to have a uh, a fresh take on it as a single take rather than an in-depth one. So because I I like getting the in-depth stuff from you guys. And and it was great having you on board today, and thank you for coming on and recommending this film, because I'd never heard of it. And I said before, I kind of don't know how I didn't know of it, because I really liked Estevez growing up. I was a big fan of The Mighty Ducks, and I loved him in Mission Impossible for all the five minutes that he was in it. And um, then I watched it today, and Estevez was possibly the weakest thing in the film, which was bizarre to me. Uh, the films would i recommend watching it I, you said one of you said you wouldn't recommend what even watching it with your mates over a few beers but i'd like to watch it with you guys because i think that's now going to be the best place for me to watch it mm-hmm. i'm a little bit jealous of aiden watching it when he was young because i now wish i'd seen it and caught it when i was younger because the nostalgia element that dev spoke about i can see that in the film and i would have liked to have tapped into that a bit more um like we did with something like Demolition Man that I felt uh, that nostalgia with there and something to hold on to. But here, it is a mess. It's all over the place. It's a bit weird. Uh Hold the wonderful. But I, I will take some positives from it, which was the kind of visuals, the crazy visuals at the end, <laughs> the lightning bolt coming out the head of the fire. <laughs> I really enjoyed <laughs> all of that mentalness because I, I was kind of like, well, this is new this is the wonderful along with the weird and why isn't the film more of this why isn't the film just unabashedly just go on full on fucking mental with the visuals of the lawn merman stuff i, I wanted loads more of that when i saw it the map painting gothic element of the escalator and i see things in this film that could have been so much more i, I did mention ame mokri's um cinematography because i think he really tried in this film and i think he did his absolute best with what he had um because we've spoke about sparse sets and the predictions are not always working because they didn't 30 million might not have been good there and it might not have been the right director for it because it's it it, it, is there's large parts of the film i am i do turn off a bit uh i i fucking still don't know what the eagle monologue was about Mm -hmm. I i don't think i ever will. Um, but you know Mick Jagger has a bit certain, um, just an odd presence because he's shit, but he's got a presence, and I can't stop watching, and I'm really drawn to him well, in the film. The guy is and a born rock star, right? It, it must be. I just wanted him to dance, though. <laughs> he did do a little bit of moves like Jagger, or something, but it the film does leave me wanting more. Which maybe with Devlin's ideas, which sounded fucking great, should get together with our friends at seen the sequel and write the second film of this because there's potential. It's obviously come from a good book with great science fiction theory. And it's a shame we didn't get that. Like Gally said, we don't get the free Jack stuff. And I, it's, it's almost unforgivable for that. It's almost unforgivable as well because there were some chase sequences where people were being knocked out of the way and screaming, and they didn't even use the Wilhelm scream, which is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, guys who
0: are uh, well, I don't know. None of us recommended it. So, but if you want to disregard, <laughs> what we said, and uh, I don't think we've ever had that. we had sort of There's like no bad practice. No, yes. no this, this is true. This is very, very true. Um, so, yeah, if you want to catch uh, Free Jack. Um, in the UK, I mean, I always get this wrong, but I checked definitely this morning. Um, not available on any of the normal subscription sites. Uh, you have to pay. Uh, I think it's £3.49
2: for rental. A tenner to buy on Amazon Prime. You're taking the piss then. Um, oh, but on eBay, but... I found um, a DVD double play, but it was taking like two weeks to get here for six quid, <laughs> and it was a double pack with Demolition Man. Ah. Oh. So, oh, well, that cool. exists that's somewhere.
0: There's that, a double bill.
2: Yeah, there you
0: go. Brand
3: L. Bush uh, uh, double pack, man, because he's in both of those things.
1: Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, oh, right he's here, the connective right? tissue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that
2: was <fantastic>. connective bush. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's on Gu- Google Play, Amazon Video, something else.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. It's basically you're
0: gonna have to purchase. I think you can get it on YouTube as well.
1: You can yeah, rent it. So it's like three, four, $4. I was trying you to rent it on, on um I couldn't
2: get it on there, Gully.
1: I, I I rented it from uh from Prime, and it said from two forty nine. And yeah. that would be the SD. And I was like, I'll have a bit of that. I'm not paying an extra pound to see something that looks like shit from 1992 with some more definition. And it wasn't available. Yeah. They straight onto the way. HD. Oh, that's a,
0: that's a very, very cheeky of them. They're getting greedy, aren't they? Aren't they? Um, yeah. But there we go. So if you want to, if you want to find free Jack, you're going to have to, you have to pay and plug in. Um But there we are. Um So we'll say our goodbyes. Uh, before we do, Aiden, thank you very much for, for coming along. Uh, we would love to have you again. Um, but no, Aiden, seriously, thank you very much for coming along. Um, I hope you enjoyed it, your first time uh, as a deputant on the, the Rewind Movie Podcast, but hopefully not your last. Um, so we'll we'll definitely get you on. Um, yeah, we'll get you on as, as soon as possible. You pick the next film um, that you want to do, and we'll we'll put it in our schedule. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoyed. It. Guys, I've had a.
3: It's been been really nice to catch up and do this. And I I have a, I did apologize to you off air about choosing this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, we've all made mistakes in our
0: lives.
2: Mine is no different, and this is one. Hi. Sure. We've never seen it. I'm glad to see a new film, Aidan. So thank you.
0: <laughs> exactly. And Aidan, you didn't you didn't nearly test yourself on a train. So you know, <laughs> you coming out this worse. <laughs> So we'll say our goodbyes. So it's the podcasting you can literally not catch the club in a whole house. It's Galley in Glasgow signing out. Stay safe, everybody.
1: Yeah. Watch this bit. This is good. <laughs> Stephen in London, thanks very much <laughs> Aiden, for joining us and for and for bringing us this film. Much appreciated. Uh, I wouldn't want to dance to
2: it, but that's a pulse. It's Patrick from London. Thank you guys. Thank you, Aidan. Us. Hopefully, see you soon. Uh,
3: thank you. Uh, I forgot. There's a sign-off line. I didn't have one. <laughs> my debutante-ness showing through so I'm just going to sign out so thank you very much guys it's been a pleasure this is Aiden in Vancouver
0: thank you very much and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast